1: Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemican podcast. So today we'll talk about Khalid ibn Yazid. And alchemy, Khalid refers to a historical figure, Khalid ibn Yazid, who died in 704. And he was an Umayyad prince, brother of, brother of, I might probably butcher this. Sorry, guys. It's the II, who was briefly caliph. So the Umayyad caliphate stretched all the way from Spain to Persia. So quite the powerful guy. And I want to point out the date, 1704, because that's that's significant. That's much earlier than anyone else we've talked about on on the show. Prince Khalid basically lost the chance of, inher- of inheriting the title, but he took an interest in in the study of alchemy when he traveled to Egypt. So he was also a huge book collector, and he was kind of... Key or really helped facilitate the translations into Arabic of existing literature. If it is indeed all the same person, which is, is hard to say, it is to this Khalid that in the West it was called Khalid Rex with a C, so instead of KH, or basically, you know, King Khalid. That's what they refer to as this great Arabic collector of literature and then translating them all from various sources, mostly Greek, into Arabic. So this is an important note because um, he actually has a reputation because of this, of translating basically all Greek knowledge at the time and kind of collaborating it and putting it into one collection, let's say. So this is a huge step in the road to the kind of Arabic and Persian alchemists that we looked at in previous episodes and will continue to look at. So there's no real
0: agreement whether the books attributed to him were actually his own works, so keep that in mind as we go through them tonight. Uh, the popular legend has him consulting a Byzantine monk, Marianos. Marianos the Greek, in other words. The Liber de Composion Campo- Alchemy, which was the first alchemical work translated from Arabic into Latin by Robert Chester in 1144, was purportedly an epistle
1: of Marianos to Caled. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, 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 I read that actually. So I took some notes from that. It's that's pretty interesting so I like I like this the connection of of the different parts that we're talking about here on the show so from from Greek to Arabic and then also this was the first book from Arabic to Latin so this this is really interesting stuff here this is kind of um, bridging the gaps between worlds so Byzantine this Byzantine monk was obviously a Christian monk and he translated stuff from Greek, and there's also a couple of Hebrew texts that seem to to, to make his way into the, in, his, in his collection. So I always kind of wondered, you know, okay, how did the Arabs even get their hands on this, and and how did this happen? Well, here's one of those puzzle pieces. In fact, um, Flamel, actually pseudo-Flamel, as listeners of the show will know, um, also Arnold of Villanova, who we did a show on, and many others all cited Khalid in their writings. There's, there's an interesting quote that I liked that was... Um, kind of relating to the importance of astrology and alchemy, and the quote is this, Many people make mistakes and fail to completion. As in any experiment, it should be noted, the progress of the moon and the sun. We must know the time when the sun enters, the sun of Ares, the sign of Leo, or Sagittarius, which we've mentioned before, that because it is from these signs is accomplished the great work. In fact, even Fulcanelli mentions him. Remember that guy? I do. In regards to the philosopher's stone, Travis and I are going to go back and forth. Uh, Travis, you're going to be Marinus Romanus, and I'll be the Caliph. Yeah, because this was, like in Greek fashion, this was written in the form of a dialogue. So since we've got two podcasters here, yeah. So um, I'll start with Morian. So this stone is soft to the touch and is softer than is his body, but it is very heavy and is very sweet to the taste, and its nature is air. It is the smell before it is made, and after it is made... Before it is made, it has a strong smell, and it smells bad, as we know. But after it is done, it has a good smell. What did say What did say the sage? This water removes the smell of the dead body, which has already lost its soul, because the body feels very bad, this state, having an odor such as this of tombs. Um, so it's interesting. I've heard and read many, many things about the Philosopher's Stone. Never its taste. It's a new one to me. Well, in order to say that, someone probably had to do it.
0: (laughs) Which, um, knowing (laughs) the process... Yeah, Yeah,
1: I would probably be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, one of the recipes, as Morianus was describing it to Khalid, it's interesting stuff since it was written as a dialogue, like I mentioned. Um, So basically, Khalid would ask questions about the Philosopher's Stone, and Morianus would answer. Not just the stone, but also the process. So, otherwise... Really pretty normal alchemical steps. Like um, it mentions the green dragon in the recipe, black, white, yellow, red—the the four colors that we come across all the time. In fact, if you recall our recipe episode, that was you'll you'll get all of that. I I'm still con- considering doing a separate episode on Morianus Romanus because um, he's actually alchemist behind all this stuff. But they're always mentioned together, so I, I can never find any sources without the other. So um, if I do do more research on Morianus Romanus it'll or Morian the monk, it'll basically be in regards to Khalid as well. So it might just be this episode part two. But it's hard stuff to find on him that doesn't relate to Khalid. Like he's just mentioned in that context. So supposedly he was a student of Steph- Stephanus of Alexandria. And that is someone I'll do a show on. Some notes I took from reading that Original the the epistle basically and also uh, uh, from from a work I read called the Secreta Alchemy like the Alchemy Secret it, this was originally supposedly a Hebrew then Arabic then Latin and now English text okay so some of the the key notes I kind of took out here was first of all as we've heard many times before nothing happens without God's will um, philosophers have hardly have partly hidden the meaning and the way of creating the Philosopher's Stone. Um, It mentions mineral elixir, also animal elixir, also acids, which it calls wash, and also elixir to make gold from mercury, which we're familiar with, and then also the equipment, and also that knowledge of math is necessary, and then the kind of the steps like dissolve, congeal, make white, then red. The rest of the recipe follows. he it's interesting that he mentions the fire size, the heat that it has to be con- constant and and for how long and that kind of thing. He quotes Hermes, which I found very interesting. And then less interesting maybe is that it has to be in in hot horse dung for forty days, and you're constantly renewing the dung. So it definitely doesn't taste sweet or smell nice. Part not at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of interesting is that what. Kind of a consistent theme throughout these, um, um, especially like Arabic and, and Persian alchemists, is that they don't make any pretense to say um, you're turning copper into silver. But he says that if so, once you created the stone, there's a 250 to one ratio of copper or steel to the philosopher's stone, and when you when you mix them, it will become silver. And it's pretty clear to my modern eyes, at least I I think, that you're basically shining it. If it's copper, you're whitening it to a degree. You're creating an alloy in some ways um, that just makes it look clean, shiny, like silver. I'm not sure they're actually saying that they're creating silver. It just seems like that they're saying, okay, here's how you make something appear like silver. And then for gold, it was basically the same thing. But you bury the stone in dung and water for four days, which kind of yellows it. Which is kind of gross, by the way.
0: What well, would we'll give the appearance of gold? I mean, that—that's—that's that's the key in this situation. Yeah. And so, and
1: I, again, I wonder: do they, do they are they implying that it really turns to gold? Because I didn't get that impression from reading the, the recipe at all. It seems like maybe no, not we're making
0: here, it... but in previous alchemy, uh, yes, yeah, a- absolutely. The idea <clears throat> was tra- transmutation. You're literally taking something from one yeah. source to another. That, Here, maybe it's just yeah, uh, the, kind of this, al- alluded to.
1: The the theme that I come across in Western, like European alchemy, is like you're actually transmuting something. And in, in Arabic or Persian alchemy, it's more like, no, here's how you make something appear like it for decorative sake or for medicinal sake. They would say that the medicinal properties would be the same as real silver and gold, but cheaper. So, mm. Okay. Um, anyways, that's, that's probably the most interesting things i found on these guys. So I don't want to bore you with any other peripheral details. So, um, yeah, short and sweet. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com.
0: Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from
1: you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemikon, which is also available on iTunes or on Bohemikon.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening.